Christmas, everybody. I uh, hope you had an awesome day with your family. I hope you ate plenty of food, opened plenty of presents. Most importantly, I hope you spent some time with the Lord uh, since the day is about Him in the first place. So, that being said, that's what we're doing today, jumping into the Word as we do each week. So grab your Bible and go to Luke chapter 2. And uh, we've kind of been doing a couple of weeks around Christmas. And we're going to talk today, obviously, uh, once again from Luke chapter 2. So uh, last week we talked about Simeon. This week we're going to get into Anna a little bit and talk about her. But first of all, a reminder, this is just me, un- not just, I mean, it's a big deal, but it's me unpacking the Word and uh, sharing with you the truth of what God's Word says. But this is not church. Church happens tonight when we get together and we hang out, and we would love for you to come be part of that. Hit us up. We'll tell you how to find us. You can uh, get us on social media and contact us that way, or you can go to the website. You can go to any of those things and find a way to reach out through email or text or whatever. And uh, I've been mentioning it. I will continue to mention it, uh, especially in the next couple of weeks. But Things are changing quick, and it's looking like we're going to be hopefully within maybe the second week of January live in our, our new location God has blessed us with. And again, I'll tell you more about that later. I don't want to take that time up right now. Or you can come tonight and hear all about it. So it is uh, off of University near ASU, if you know Tempe. So that's where we are, Tempe. Anyway, we're jumping in here today in Luke chapter 2, and we've talked about this theme of celebrating Messiah. So that's where we're going again. Simeon and Anna, we talked about both of them. Well, we'll talk about Anna today, but you have a man, you have a woman, you have a priest, you have a prophetess. That's who we're looking at today. They both are celebrating the birth of Christ. And so with Anna today, you have this prophetess who's in the temple at the time of Jesus' birth. And she had a lot in common with Simeon in terms of her desire for the Messiah. You'll see that as we get in. But let's read it first. Uh, chapter 2, verse 36 says, And there was a prophetess, Anna, uh, which is the Greek and English way of saying Hannah, from the Hebrew word Hannah. Uh, but there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of uh, Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Let me pray. Lord, your word again is so awesome. And, and I know I am a, a failed flawed, sinful man, Lord, that you have forgiven by your grace alone. And I pray today, Lord, that as I unpack your word, that it's your word that's spoken, not mine, because mine is flawed and I know it. And I trust what your word has to say. I'm here to learn from you just like anybody else. Um, And so I pray your word speaks in Jesus' name. Amen. So in today's world, uh, especially where we are in the West, we tend to discredit the power of prayer pretty quick. And I know there's people who go crazy with it and there's all kinds of, uh, you know, miracles that are supposed miracles that are blamed on prayer. But there's also uh, a sense that we discredit the power of God to work through prayer pretty quick. Uh, And I think that's because we're lazy sometimes. I really do. Most times prayer requires devotion rather than us just casting a spell or spitting some magic words over something and 
expecting the situation to change. But has there ever been something you prayed for? And I don't know who I'll see in this, but I know our group. But have you, has there ever been something you have prayed for? And I mean really, really prayed for, for not days, not even weeks, but years. You've prayed for it for years. Did God answer it? Did God answer it? If he did, how did you appreciate it when he did? Think back on it. How did you appreciate it when he did answer? If, if it's something you prayed for for years and years. wonder how this woman who prayed daily to see the Messiah for over eight decades celebrated Christmas each year if she, if she had. What would that have looked like for her celebrating Christmas each year? Because for her, Christmas pointed back to a baby that she prayed to see for 80 plus years. Imagine her seeing this baby in that moment. Picture it if you can. She's coming through, I'm just imagining, but she's coming through the courtyard of the temple, much like Simeon had done previously. And she's coming through the courtyard of the temple of women there, and uh, maybe the crowd kind of shifts around, and she sees across the way Simeon, uh, who she probably knew well. They were both old, and they'd both been in the temple for all their lives. So she sees him as a priest over here, and he's holding this baby, and maybe he's, maybe she could see tears running down his face of joy. Maybe he's raising the baby up in, over his head and kind of the crowd around goes silent to her, almost like everything goes still in slow motion for a minute as she's watching this happen. And then maybe she starts to move towards him and almost has to pause trying to catch her breath as she gets close by and can hear the words that he's saying. And if you want to know what those are, you can go back and look uh what we talked about last week, but... 80 plus years of praying and fasting and he's here. He's here. When the Holy Spirit leads us, just like I said last week, you know, a solid good point, like I said last year, of, of a way to intake this and hold on to it last year, last week with, uh, Simeon. Same thing here with her. When the Holy Spirit leads us to see the Messiah, it should bring us to celebrate him, thanking God for answering our prayers and then for us to be speaking about him with everyone who seeks that hope of redemption. Okay? So when the Holy Spirit leads us to see the Messiah, it should bring us to celebrate him, thanking God for answering our prayers, and then to speaking about him with others, everyone who's seeking that same hope of redemption. So I shared it last week. I won't go back into it. But after Mary gives birth to Jesus in the stable, barn, cave, whatever it was with the animals, uh, Eight days later, the baby, baby Jesus is circumcised by either Joseph or a priest. And then uh, 33 days later, Mary and Joseph go into Jerusalem to the temple in order to satisfy some of the requirements of the law. You want to know what that's about? Go back and listen to what we talked about last week. And in the temple there, they find this old priest named Simeon who'd been seeking the coming of the Messiah. And he'd been... Uh, he'd, he'd run into the family, run into the family, led by the Holy Spirit into the family, led by the Word of God into the family, and he celebrates having seen this baby and recognizes him to be the Messiah. Now, today, before that moment is over, I believe, we have this other person on the scene, this woman, Anna, a prophetess, who was likely pretty well known in the temple. She had been there a long time, 
And uh, note also, right before we jump in here, that in Luke's gospel, he made time for these two people to get mentioned here. Now, I'm, I'm not trying to say that's like a duh, obviously, but, but just pause a second and think about it. Of all of the things that he might have detailed in the life of Jesus as a baby, he takes the time in his account to note these two people. So they're extremely important from Luke's point of view anyway. Verse 36, And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. So why mention her? Why mention her at all? Why even bring her into this? She only got a few sentences here. Why even bring her in? Why does Luke note either one of these two people, for that matter? I kind of prefaced that a second ago. Neither one of them is mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. This is their only moment. Why even bring these two into the story? Well, what do they have in common? They're both in the temple in this moment. They're both aged, older, old. They're both in ministry in different ways, but in ministry. And they're both in respected positions at the time, a priest and a prophet, very highly regarded uh, positions in ministry. And because of that, they're probably very well known. And the fact that they were old when this occurs means that they had been in position for a long time, seen, known, recognized for a long time. And because they were described with such respect and admiration for personal holiness here, it meant something to the readers of that day that both of these would affirm that baby to be the Messiah. That means something that these two are affirming that baby to be the Messiah. She's identified right away here as a prophetess. And and unfortunately, because so many so-called modern-day prophets have distorted and screwed up and given a false idea about what it means to be a prophet, uh, we tend to look at that and go, huh. But she's not some kind of gypsy here. Take that idea out of your head. She's not a fortune teller. That's not what prophecy was. In fact, the Bible forbids going to fortune tellers. That's not the case. A prophet was simply someone, listen to me, who spoke the word of God. Anytime you, what was a prophet? What's a prophet? Very simple definition. Thus says the Lord. A prophet is someone who uses the phrase, thus says the Lord. And you can go back and look in God's word and see that repeatedly, whether it's Isaiah, Jeremiah, whoever, thus says the Lord. And their most common message, guess what it was? Repent. Repent. That was the most common message. So tell me how many you think were rich and celebrated like these ones who claim to be prophets today. That's not the case. Matter of fact, the vast majority, if not all of them, were pretty much hated. It was not a desirable calling to be a prophet. Uh, most of them suffered martyred, martyrdom. Uh, most of them were dejected, hated. Um, I'm not going to go through the list, but you can look back and find out for yourself. But you can consider the greatest prophet of all, the one we're talking about here, Jesus. He nailed him to a cross. And Jesus condemned the wealthy, elite, religious people of his day, saying that the blood of all the prophets was on them. And that would imply that prophets were synonymous with martyrdom, not celebrity. Okay, and, and in his parables, Jesus frequently spoke about God sending his prophets and the people killing them. So I'm not trying to get heavy. I could go on here. But what, what, what I'm saying is, why is it noted specifically that she's a prophetess here? Why does he point that right out? Well, because she speaks, thus says the Lord. Not because she can see oracles of, of miracle, miraculous other worlds. And, 
No, it's because she's someone who affirms God's word, okay? And she's affirming the identity of this child. That's why. All right? So why note her lineage? She's the daughter in the tribe of Asher here. Why note that? Well, in Deuteronomy 33.11, and we don't know. I'm just speculating here. But in Deuteronomy 33.11, Moses listed Asher, the tribe of Asher, last. Not a strong argument for the significance of her tribe. It's not like Judah or Levi where the priests came from, you know. And at the time of Jesus, the nation had been split for uh, centuries. That You had ten tribes in the north and two in the south, Judah and Benjamin. And they warred with each other for years and years and years and years. And then they warred with other countries. And then they were conquered. Assyria scattered the ten tribes in the north. Later, Babylon captured uh, the two tribes in the south, Judah and Benjamin, and took them captive, letting them return after 70 years. God's plan, that's a whole other story. But but they returned and they came back. But so so you have them resettled, Judah, and the tribe of Judah resettled in where Jerusalem is. It became known as Judea. So when Jesus is the, on the earth here, it's the land of Judea. And the land in the north where the ten tribes were is now Samaria. It's not even the place is not even technically known as Israel. It's Judea and Samaria. It's because you have the tribe of Judah and then the others are are scattered. But here you have this woman from the tribe of Asher who's standing in the temple in Jerusalem with the lion of the tribe of Judah who's a baby at this moment. And Anna takes this baby in her arms, assuming that she does. I think she probably does take this baby in her arms. And she's standing in Judah representing these ten other tribes perhaps. Her presence being there suggesting that even if they were the last of the tribes, that they are remembered by God, that they're remembered by God, that he is fulfilling his promise through Messiah, and she's present there for that. That's one reason. I'll tell you another one in a second. Look at verse 36. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. What does it say about her character to note that she had been married? She'd experienced marriage. She'd been married, but has been a widow so long afterwards. Such a longing for God above all else. Doesn't want anything between her and God, even if it's a good thing. Man, what does that say about her character? And there are Hebrew texts that record uh, her lineage as being known for beauty the tribe of Asher as being known for having beautiful women. I mean it's in the it's in their culture and in their history. So uh, for instance one famous rabbi wrote, the daughters of the tribe of Asher were beautiful and fit to be married to kings who were anointed with oil. Uh so maybe that's another reason for noting that she was from the tribe of Asher. Maybe she was very beautiful, but despite her beauty, if she was eighty four at the time, she's a widow for sixty plus years. And in fact, some translations read this way, that she lived as a widow for 84 years. And I think that's probably a little more accurate. Not and then as a widow until she was 80, but that she lived as a widow for 84 years. So then, if that's the case, if she was married, that's when she lost her virginity, when she was married, at let's say 15, and then she was married for seven years, it would make her 106 at this time. 106. 
So the point is, she was definitely advanced in years. That's the point. She had been waiting a very long time for this moment. And I'm sure she had many opportunities. If she was beautiful, especially many opportunities to get remarried. But rather than do that, she dedicated her life to serving God. A lot like Hannah, her namesake. That's what I think of in First Samuel chapter 1. You can read it in your own time. But she begged and prayed for God to give her a child. And he did. And she dedicated that child to him. And he spent his life in the temple. So Luke describes here her devotion and commitment to God a little bit differently than Simeon's. Not, not saying it was different. I'm saying the way Luke describes it here is a little bit different. But she's a woman and not a man. She's a prophet and not a priest. So there's a little bit of difference in the way that she responds, the way that he responds, the way that she expresses herself, the way that he expresses herself, himself. If you read Kings, it was written by prophets. And you compare that with the same events that were recorded in Chronicles, which is written by priests. So your Bible has First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. They detail the same events for the most part. But Kings is detailing it from prophet's point of view. Uh, Chronicles is detailing it from priest's point of view. And if you compare the two, you're going to see there's a big difference in the tone of what's being said and the what's being noted or what's being pointed out. One's more about holiness and devotion to the law and details. That would be the priests and chronicles. The other is more attentive to story and the relationships between God and man and man and man. That would be the prophets or kings. They just were different. And it's awesome that Luke notes these things here. It gives stronger evidence to the truth that this did actually happen. Because he's telling you the way it went. Clearly these two existed and this moment occurred. And sometimes it's good to pause and think. Who do you identify with in there? Do you, If you were there in that moment, would you identify more with the way Anna approached this? Or more with the way Simeon did? Neither one's wrong. In fact, they're both great. I'm just curious. Maybe you don't, maybe you don't associate yourself with either one. Maybe it's time you start thinking about it. Maybe you haven't seen Jesus like this in a long time. Another note here to think about how many people God used when they were advanced in age. Just think about it for a minute. Abraham and Sarah, right? Abraham was 100. Sarah was 90. You go back and look these up. I'm not going to tell you all the events. I'm just saying these are the moments when God carried the most impact on their lives. Moses began his ministry in his 80s. Real-time 80s. Uh, even Jesus' family, Luke chapter 1, we're in 2. If you go back to Luke chapter 1, uh, talking about John the Baptist's parents, Jesus' cousin here, John the Baptist's parents, they were, it said they were advanced in years. But although Simeon and Anna are holding him as a baby, both of these would die before Jesus preached his first sermon. And they're filled with joy. All the same. Luke says she doesn't leave the temple. That's not to say she lived in it. It doesn't mean she had a little house down in the corner. At least I don't think she did. Uh, it's more of the way the Hebrew language is understood. When it says night and day there, that's a Hebrew way of recording a day. Um, like if we said she was at the temple morning to night, every single day without fail. Nobody would assume she lived there. Or maybe we even said that. Man, she lives, he lives at work. If you say he lives at work, that doesn't mean you think he lives there, but that means that he's there all the time. Same idea here. Uh, 
you would assume here that she's getting up in the morning and spending the entire day there. The Jewish day, in fact, began at night and ran to night, whatever nightfall to nightfall. That's when the day ran. And ours does, too, to some degree. Midnight to midnight is the day. But in any event, uh, the language here is to show that she came every day. For years and years, every day for decades and decades, at least 84 years, we know that. And she does it alone. And more importantly, she's not just popping in. She's not just going and lighting a candle. She's praying and fasting every single day. And Judaism doesn't require a trip to the temple like that on a regular daily basis. That's that's just where she wanted to be. Why? Clearly, she loved being there. You know, I remember a church in Texas that we were members of when I was young, when I was a younger junior high age around then. And I remember just going in the door sometimes, and you could just feel it. You could just just feel like love in 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 there. I, I don't know how else to explain it. Yeah, you know, you ever been in a church where you felt love like that? You know what I'm talking about? Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. I, I don't know. Like like you feel the presence of love. It's it's really hard to explain. It's like stepping into a small room that's really toasty, warm from a, a large fire that's burning in a fireplace in the corner. And maybe you're coming in out of an icy, wet, cold, uh, frozen day and you step into that room. That kind of feeling like that, that kind of love, it makes you want to stay. It makes you want to hurry up and come back if you have to go back outside for a minute. She felt the love of God that way in that place, in that temple. Not because it was the only place where he was. The Lord, God's everywhere. But it's because she was praying and fasting daily and he was meeting her there. And if he's meeting her there, she's going there every day. And why would he meet her there consistently? Well, because this day was coming. Meet me here. Meet me here. <coughs> Excuse me. Because one day you're going to meet me here. And that's what ended up happening. Simeon was looking for the consolation of Israel. Anna was looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Both of these were actively seeking someone who would do something. And that would be the Messiah. That would be Jesus. How about you? (coughs) Excuse me. Is it day by day with you? Is it? Maybe now at Christmas is a good time to Return to seeking him day by day. Maybe it's a good time to rediscover that joy that Simeon and Anna had when they saw this child whose birth we are celebrating right now. Maybe it's time to find that again. Look at verse 38. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of of Jerusalem. Do you think it's just a happy coincidence here that she was there at that very hour? That means right then, right at that moment. And that she came up on this moment with Simeon and the baby. You think that was just a happy coincidence? What led her to this moment? Well, I'll tell you what. Her consistent devotion 
was already bringing her there for 80 plus years. 80 plus years she's been coming and doing this. She's, she's there already. Her devotion has put her in position to see and be part of this event, right? And just like Simeon, she recognizes that a 40-day-old baby who was born in a stable to a poor family from backwoods Nazareth, that this little child is the Messiah. Though Luke doesn't note it like he did with Simeon, it's obviously clear that she was also led by the Holy Spirit, that she could hear from the Holy Spirit. Isn't it amazing that everything she was seeking, everything that Simeon was seeking, uh, her living in the temple and fasting and praying, him and his devoutness and his dedication to the uh, the law and listening and being led by the Holy Spirit, all of that for both of them culminated in this baby. They found everything they were looking for in this baby. And by the way, she's a prophetess, right? So she speaks prophecies, right? Notice what the topic is of her prophecies when she walks away. Uh, she's speaking of Jesus to all those who were waiting for redemption. She's not talking about the Antichrist. She's not talking about what nation's going to rise against what nation on what date. She's not talking about the exact date time of Jesus' return. She's not talking about uh, the money that's going to explode in your bank account if you sow a seed into her ministry. She's not talking about any of that. She's talking about him, Jesus, who he is. That is all. Her response is just like the woman at the well. If you don't know the story, go read it in John chapter 4. But in verse twenty or 39, Mary says, excuse me, uh, the text says, Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. You can go read the story. But that woman's testimony drew the whole city in to believe in Jesus. And that's what she's doing. That's what her prophecy, her prophesying is. She goes away proclaiming him at last. Y'all know me. I'm 106 years old. I've been here 84 plus years. And at last, I've been praying and fasting. You know you've seen it. And at last, the Messiah has come. Salvation has come. But she's not just blanket shouting this. This is not like a street preacher moment. That's not the case. Did you catch that Luke records her audience to be uh, a little more specific? He says, those who seek the redemption of Jerusalem, that's who she was preaching to. Those who seek the redemption of Jerusalem. Simeon's proclamation was more aimed at the Gentiles. You go back and look at that last week. But he more noted how this baby was a light to the Gentiles and Messiah for all peoples. But Anna here was more pointed towards those that were like her, who were close to the heart of Jerusalem. I would say Jewish people very clearly are those converting to Judaism. And why do you think she's sharing it in that way specifically? Why do you think she's more focused on them specifically? Well, for 84 plus years, her heart was connected fully with God in his temple in Jerusalem. That's where she existed for the most part. Uh, These were her people in that temple. Day in and day out, she loved them. Man, listen, she probably outlived some people she saw being born. 
Think about that. Her heart was clearly connected there. So, of course, this becomes her mission field. And that's great. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul said, for it's the power of God for salvation. Listen, to everyone who believes, there's not a period, there's a comma, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So there's a note here that there is some some significance to the Jew and the preaching of the gospel to the Jew. Well, what? Well, it came from them. And Jesus was a Jew. And so for her, her heart was towards her Jewish people. And I get that. Because, look, I realize I've only been in Arizona for three and a half years. Uh, I know that. Man, I love this place. I really don't know how to explain it. I, I just, I love this place. I love the people here so much. You know, everybody that I've met, I, I, I feel like I would die if I was removed from this place, you know. And, I, and I'm not saying God can't do what he wants with my life down the road. But right now, he's he has woven my heart into this place. And I, I don't know how to explain it except to say that I want to see the people here come to know the Messiah. I want them to see the Messiah. I want them to realize that Christmas is about redemption, that Christmas is about salvation. I want this city uh, Tempe, Phoenix, to see that kind of love. I want them to have it because he's put my heart here just like he did with Anna in the temple. So what do we do with all of this or how do we process this in a useful way? Well, her devoutness is measured by three things, okay? Did you see them? Three things. She prayed. She denied herself, which would be fasting, you know, in some form. And she went, was in a daily routine of worship. She prayed, she denied herself, and she was in a daily routine of going to worship. Now, let me ask you something. I wonder how your life might look if that was something that described your walk with the Lord. Me too. If somebody could say those three things described your walk with the Lord... I wonder what Christmas might look like in your home if those three things described your walk with the Lord. Mine too. I say in yours, but I'm weighing myself out on this one too. And again, this Christmas season, man, look, take yourself back. That's what we've just done a little bit. Take a few minutes. Read these things again. Take yourself back to the temple. See this moment right here that we've been talking about when this old man and this very aged woman become overjoyed, overcome with joy. Over this little baby, the promise of God that they've been longing for, they've devoted their entire lives in anticipation of, and then come back and ask yourself, especially on this day, to see bring me joy like that. And if not, look, it's time to make some changes. And I'll put myself right there with you, right there with you. And I would say change number one, if you're not a believer, if you've never given your life to Christ, we all this talk about prayers and devotion and all this thing. Maybe you feel like you try to pray, it doesn't get through the ceiling. Maybe you feel like you're frustrated because it's just a waste of time anyway because then nobody can hear it or they sure aren't listening. Or maybe you never pray, you don't even know how to or you think it's silly to do it in the first place. Perhaps the problem is you've been praying to the universe or praying to stars or sending up prayers like a telegraph or a radio waves in the space hoping that God's ear might pick it up if he happens to be there. Well, maybe that's where we need to start. Maybe we need to start by 
you understanding who you are talking to. That this little baby didn't just stay a baby. That this Messiah, this Jesus grew up perfectly sinless, not just to show out, but to identify himself as God, number one. And number two, because we need, if he's going to be any help to us, we need someone who is sinless. Why? Because we're all sinful. We all sin. It didn't help me to have somebody else that sins. I need somebody that's not a sinner. And he grew up in a life that was sinless, but that wasn't it either. Then instead of being celebrated for his sinless life, he laid it down. The Bible says nobody takes, Jesus said, nobody takes my life. I give it up of my own accord. He laid his life down, allowing himself to be nailed to a cross and die, taking on himself the sins of the world. The father even, in, in, in one of the most wild things, in, in turning his back, not able to look at the sin upon him in a sense. And Jesus dies carrying our sin to the grave. Again, that's not the end of the story because death is what grips us all. So dying doesn't help. The fact is he took that sin to the grave and then he conquered the grave. He came out three days later having fully defeated it. The grave's not going to hold him. He created everything. He comes out of the grave alive. Comes out of the grave alive. And because of that, he offers to you, he offers to me, he offers to us redemption that's the redemption that's the salvation that's what they were looking for freedom from sin forgiveness that god would look on his son and see that sin and look on you and tell you i love you and it's accessed by faith can you believe what i'm telling you today can you believe what you're hearing today it's his word can you believe it can you put your faith in it? Can you admit that, yes, I am one of those sinners. I know it. I'll own it. Without a doubt, I know it. I am. Can you say, I want to repent. I don't want to be that way anymore. I don't know that I can be perfect, but I don't want to be like that anymore. I, want, I don't want to. I want to turn. Can you say that? Can you believe in who he is? He loves you. He wants to listen to your prayers. He wants you to talk to him. He does care. Why? Because he created you along with everything else. Can you believe that? And last, can you trust him? Can you trust that what he did on the cross, that what he did in coming out of that grave was enough to make you right with God? Because you know that there's nothing you can do to make you right with God because there's not enough good you can do to outweigh the bad. Or maybe you don't have any idea how much that is even if, even if you thought you could. And, but you're trusting that what he did on that cross was good enough. That coming out of that grave alive, you put your faith in what he did and trust in that. Can you do that? Tell him. However you want to do it, tell him what, I just, what we just said. Just tell him. And then look, man, tell us, because according to the word, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus, and you are now family with us. I want to pray for you. Lord, I love you. Thank you for your word. I thank you for this time of year, Christmas, and I pray, God, that um, you're honored by our lives, that, that you know that we love you, that you're celebrated at this time of year beyond Santa, beyond boxes and 
and toys and Christmas lights and all that, that God, somewhere in all of that, we push it aside and we're all able to look at you and see that baby, that Simeon race to hold it, that, that, uh, Anna was shook by, Lord, to be able to see that you have come, that salvation has come. Let us be able to remember that. And I pray today, if anybody's given their life to you, God, let this be a Christmas that, well, it will be a Christmas they'll never forget. But I pray, Lord, that you fill them with your Holy Spirit, that you forgive them, and that you extend salvation to them based on their commitment of faith, Lord. And I pray that you would lead them, if they're here, to us, and if not, to a great church that would teach them your word and help them become a disciple who makes disciples. We ask all these things for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 